Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Well, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 20 through 28. And the title of the message is An Inspiring Mom. A May 2011 article in Forbes magazine asks, think you can put a price on motherhood? A yearly survey by salary.com called the Annual Mom Salary Survey attempts to put a salary on the work of American mothers. First, they broke down motherly duties into the following categories, daycare, center teacher, a CEO, a psychologist, a cook, a housekeeper, a laundry machine operator, a computer operator, a facilities manager, a janitor, and a van driver. They broke them down in those categories. Then they studied how many hours moms worked in those various categories and what the family would have had to pay had they outsourced for each one of those categories that the mom fulfills. And according to the, uh, actually the 2012, I I misspoke earlier, according to the 2012 survey, they determined the following. The average stay-at-home mom, uh, the average stay-at-home, the average stay-at-home mom should make an annual salary of $112,962. Yeah, I heard an amen. Now, here's what that's based on. That's based on 40 hours of week base pay plus 54.7 hours uh, of overtime each week. The average working mom, that is the mom that has a job and makes an annual salary uh, or makes a salary outside of the home, well, the average working mom, just for her mom duties at home, just for her mom duties, in addition to what she earns elsewhere, $66,969. Now, you might want to calculate what you're earning at work. No, I'll stay out of that. But anyway, based on a 40-hour week of mothering duties and then 17.9 of overtime duties for the working mom. Needless to say, moms are valuable in our lives. Not all mothers are the same, but any devoted mother is worth a lot more than most of us think. Mothers can be inspiring. They can inspire by the way that they live. They can inspire by the way that they manage the family. They can inspire by their stamina. There are so many ways that we can be blessed and inspired by our mothers. One of the most inspiring mothers of the Bible was a woman named Hannah. She was the mother of a boy named Samuel who grew up to be a very powerful man. Samuel was one of the last judges of Israel. He was a man of great wisdom. He was also a man who had some shortcomings. He was not a, a perfect guy. He raised two sons who were so corrupt that Israel wouldn't take them to be judges and they demanded that Samuel anoint a king for Israel rather than them be ruled by his two sons. And so Samuel 
not disagreeing with them, anointed King Saul over Israel. And then at a later point, it was also Samuel who anointed David as king over Israel. But as mentioned, there is a a backstory to the greatness of Samuel. Samuel had a mother, an inspiring mother. And here is her story from 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. Now Elkanah was uh, Hannah's husband. Going on in verse 22, but Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him, only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. They'd had a prior prior experience. Verse 27, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives, He is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Now, there's a few pertinent things to see in this passage of Scripture on this Mother's Day. First of all, Hannah's son. Hannah was a woman who wanted to have a baby. She really wanted a baby. She wanted a baby boy, but she was unable to have a child. Time and time again, she prayed for a child. She prayed for a son in particular. For Hannah, having a a child became an obsession. She couldn't get away from it. She couldn't escape the obsession of wanting to have a child. And year after year, she prayed for a child. Then she offered this very unique prayer to the Lord, found earlier in the chapter of our text, 1 Samuel 1 and verse 10. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And he vowed a vow and said, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Well, Here is an interesting passage of Scripture where Hannah prays for God to give her a child, a son in particular. There are ladies in this room who have a child of prayer. You wanted a child. You prayed for a child. 
you ask God to let you conceive a child. It may have taken a while, but eventually a child was given to you. You had a child of prayer, just like Hannah had a child of prayer. And she made certain promises to God. Now, it's not identified as such, but the vow that Hannah made to God about Samuel was that he would be raised under the vow of a Nazarite. Um, For lack of a better way to put it, uh, in the Catholic world, you have various kinds of priests. Let's say you have a a regular priest that's in a... um, that's in a church, a Catholic church, and then you have those Jesuit priests that, that are in various uh, places, and you have monks and, and other uh, priests like that. Now, this is a completely different thing, but it gives you a frame of reference for the fact that the Nazarite vow <clears throat> was a special vow. Nazarites were men or women who made a special vow to consecrate themselves to God for a specific period of time. And during this time, there were certain things they couldn't do. They could not drink wine. They couldn't drink any intoxicating drink. They could not cut their hair. They could not uh, go near a dead body and, and other things. Hannah's vow was that her son would be raised and live as a Nazarite for all of his life. So what she said was, I'm going to promise my son to you, Lord, for all of his life dedicated in special service as a Nazarite. Now, the reason that she did this is because she wanted a child so badly. And she said, I want this child badly enough that I will dedicate this child to be a Nazarite for all of his days. Now, that reminds me of the fact that that many of us will want something from God and we will make a dedication or a promise to God regarding something that, God, if you'll just give me this, this is where I'll be, this is what I will do uh, for all of my days, or this is what our child will experience for all of our child's days, and so forth and so on. Now, from our text, we know that God heard and respected her vow, and he answered her prayer. Verse 20 said, in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked him from the Lord. Now, there are two things that I want us to learn from Hannah's prayer and or from Hannah's son, if you will. First of all, God hears the prayers of the brokenhearted. Is there someone in this room today that has a broken heart? It doesn't have to be that you need to uh, have a baby and your heart is broken that you don't have a baby. Maybe your heart is broken for another reason. There's someone in this room whose heart is is genuinely broken. Well, I want you to know, God hears the prayers of the brokenhearted. Hannah was a brokenhearted woman. Sometimes when our hearts are broken, we wonder if God hears or if God cares. There are times when our hearts are broken, and we don't think that our hearts should be broken. And so we immediately surmise God must not care or he wouldn't have let our hearts break as they did. But God has a special understanding of the brokenhearted. God has a special appreciation of the brokenhearted. God cares about the brokenhearted. He invites the brokenhearted to come to him and to give him those things that are breaking their hearts. 
First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. For Hannah, the most uh, pressing care was that, that she did not have a son. She did not have a child. <clears throat> she needed a child. There are times when our cares are, are cares, but then they go well beyond the care stage, and they really are for broken hearts. Well, there's a promise from God about those of us who have had broken hearts. And if you've ever had a broken heart, this promise applies to you. I've had one, have you? If your heart has ever broken, here's a promise in the book of Psalms. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. When your heart is broken, <clears throat> don't say, I wonder where God is, my heart is broken. You don't have to say that at all. You can just whisper because God is within whispering distance of you. <clears throat> God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who have a crushed spirit. And so first of all, we see that Hannah had a broken heart. There's something else that we learn from Hannah's prayer and the birth of her son Samuel. And that is that children are a gift from God. She prayed and asked God for a gift from above, and God <clears throat> gave her the gift. Psalm 127, 3 says, Behold, children are an heritage, or heritage from the Lord, <clears throat> the fruit of the womb, a reward. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Children are a blessing, not a bother. Those of us who have held children of our own or, or love the children of others or have had have a hard time understanding the mentality of those <clears throat> who would not love or care for or would any way do harm to a child, whether born or unborn. We just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get how that operates. I don't get how that, that works. All of you know that Jan and I welcomed a new grandchild into our lives just about two weeks ago on April the 25th. Little girl, her name is Emerson Aree. Ray. <clears throat> we loved Emerson before she was ever born. I mean, we loved her a lot before she was ever born. And only a few hours after she was born, <clears throat> literally two or three hours after she was born, we were in her room and we sat in her room <clears throat> with her mom and her dad and her other grandparents and we held this little gift from God. I remember holding her and looking down at her hands and her little fingernails. You, you ladies go and you get these French manicures to make your fingernails look perfect. It looked like God had given her a French manicure. I looked at her little hand and, and looked at those fingernails and I couldn't see anything about her that wasn't beautiful. I couldn't see anything about her that wasn't a blessing. And I looked up at Lindsay, who had just given birth to this little miracle, and here's what I said to her. I said, Lindsay, 
this morning she was living inside of you. And here it is this afternoon, and we're holding her, her grandparents, her parents. We're holding her in our our arms. And we were just overwhelmed with that. There was no questioning that that little girl was a gift from God. Here's what's so hard for me to understand. I don't understand the lack of understanding in the world today that children are a gift from God. I just don't get it. I don't get it. In nine states in the United States, plus the District of Columbia, there are no time restrictions on abortion. Nine states. There's no time restrictions. I assume that here's what that means. That given the right permissions, it would have been legal uh, in those places to take little Emerson's life on the morning of her birth. I just don't get that. Children are a gift from God. Matt and Jess, that little boy's a gift, isn't he? He's a gift from God. God gave him to you. Children are a gift from God as evidenced by Hannah's son, Samuel. Here's the second thing. Hannah's situation. She had a son, but she also had a situation. I'll review it a little bit. The man, Elkanah, and all his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Well, once Samuel was born, the time came for Hannah's husband and the rest of the family to make their visit to the house of the Lord at at Shiloh and to make sacrifices before the Lord. Hannah had promised that her son would be given to God, but Samuel was not old enough to be taken away from his mother. And the postponement of her trip was just something that had to be done. So she did. She postponed her trip to Shiloh and sent her husband ahead. Now, here's what that could mean. That could mean the beginning of a change in the attitude of Hannah toward giving her child to the Lord. Parents do tend to change on that. Parents do tend to change. They make these promises to God of what the child is going to be like and how the child is going to be raised. And then the child comes and their values begin to change and everything moves all around. And it's not the same until finally they just forget those promises that they made to God. And so she said, I've got to postpone this trip. And it bothered Elkanah just a little bit, but he agreed. And he said, okay, but now don't forget this. 
You made a promise to God. Hannah's situation tells us something about mothers in general and mothering. First of all, a mother's responsibility is a huge thing. I know that we are more enlightened now, quote unquote, and parental duties are more shared or are supposed to be, but there are still duties of a mother that are much different than those of a father. And some duties that might be shared uh, find the mother usually much better at the task than dad. In the case of Hannah and all women back then, she was breastfeeding Samuel. She said, he's just not ready. He's not weaned. I can't take this child up there to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. I can't take this, this child up there and just turn him over and nobody be there to feed the child. I have a responsibility toward him. I love, love people who see and show and live their responsibilities toward their children. I love it. Just love it. God loves it too. He didn't judge Hannah for not coming up then. In fact, it all worked out just fine. Hannah had some responsibilities. Mothers have responsibilities. We could go through the list. I went through an earlier list about what they might be worth and found out that you stay-at-home moms are worth $122,000 plus. Here's something else, a mother's realization. Hannah has made a promise to God that she's going to dedicate her son, and she remembers that promise to God. Waiting for the child to be weaned would be a time of preparing him and preparing her for the change to come. Now, I think it's worth noting that Hannah prayed for this child for a a long, long time. And part of her prayer did say, Lord, I will take this child and will lend him to you and he will be raised in the house of God. And when that child was born, I think most of us would have said, why did I pray something like that? I think most of us would have found some way to reason our way out of it. God understands. God wouldn't want me to really do this. God knows how desperate I was. I was just just crying and praying and praying and crying, and and God's not going to hold me to this. But that's not the way she thought. As soon as she could, she would take Samuel to the prophet of God. And she lived with the reality every day of Samuel's young life. It was huge. It was heartbreaking. A mother's release was something to be noted. If you've ever sent a child off, you know about the release of a child sending a child off to the military or sending a child to college or watching the child as they walk down the aisle to be married or whatever else it may be. When you send that child away to school the first day and, and you watch the child walk in the building and you get in the car and drive off, it's a heart wrenching thing to release a child. even if they're just 
moving out on their own and, and living in an apartment three blocks over, the shock of, of knowing that the place where they slept is now going to be empty is sometimes a hard thing to bear. Some people can't bear it. Some people can't deal with it. They're never able to deal with it. I read this story. I assume it's true. A woman from the town called Klagenfurt, Austria, was fined 360 euros or $478 on a charge of stalking her own son. It was the son who filed the lawsuit. He claimed that his mother called him up to 49 times a day for a period of two and a half years. The woman's words to an Austrian newspaper revealed really a broken-hearted woman, a woman who was estranged from her family. Here's what she said. I just wanted to talk to him. I can't talk to my son nor my daughter. I've never seen my grandchildren who's already 15 years old. Sometimes it's tough to release a child and Also, when you don't release a child, sometimes it's tough to ever (coughs) get the child back. Hannah's plan was to release her child to the care of God upon being weaned from her. Now, in that day, and I know that many of you are trying to figure out, well, how old was he? Probably around three years old, which is pretty traumatic if you think about it. She took that child to the house of God at age three and released that child. So Hannah knew that this child for which she had prayed and would only be hers for, <clears throat> for three years, and she had made this promise to God that, that she would <clears throat> remove her hand from the daily life of the child once she had given him to the Lord. Now, I don't think that we should believe that she never went up to the house of God at Shiloh and saw her son. I'm sure that she did. But she gave him up. She released him. This, of course, begs the question as to whether or not we've given our children to God. Did you ever give your child to the Lord? A lot of you come up here and and you have dedication services for your children. What what was that for? Was that to, um, I mean, was, was that ceremonial or was that serious? Think about that. Did you do that just to, you know, so the child had a kid's Bible, a dedication Bible, or whatever it was we were given at that time? Why did you, why did you come and, and do that? Do we really want God to have his will in the lives of our children? Or do we want to micromanage God's will for their lives? You know, there's a biblical principle that tells us what's going to happen if we're not careful about the way that we release our children. Here's what the Bible says, and it's about something else, but I think there's application. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it, Luke 9, 24. Hannah figured out something that all of us would do well to learn. Parenting is a catch-and-release program. You don't, you, look, if you don't catch them and release them at the right time, 
they're going to be like fish that stay at your house too long. <clears throat> they're going to start smelling your life up. It is a catch and release program. And <clears throat> when, when you learn that, you're happier about the catch and you're happier about the release. When God gives us children, <clears throat> we must right then and for the rest of our lives give them to the Lord and make those decisions that point them to God not in another direction and never ever try to overrule God in their lives what have we seen we've seen two things thus far Hannah's son and Hannah's situation here's the final point Hannah's sacrifice when the time came Hannah took her child to Silo the Shiloh, the, the place of sacrifice for her family. And there she made a sacrifice to God, and she left her son <clears throat> to be raised by the people of God in the house of God. First Samuel one twenty four. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull and ephah of flour and <clears throat> a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young, and then... They slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli and she said, Oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed and the Lord has granted me the petition that I made him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. God has not asked any of you to do this. In fact, I don't believe that Hannah had to do this. The giving of her son to the work of God was a commitment she made in her own heart. God gave her a a way to worship him, a free will to worship him, and she used it by dedicating her son. I believe one of the reasons an almighty God has given you and me a free will is that we might exercise it in the worship and adoration of him. Not that we're tied down and held and made to worship him, but that we freely worship him. Mothers and dads, I want to ask you this. How could you exercise your free will in such a way to show your worship and adoration of God who loves you and gave his son to die on the cross for you and gave you those children and those grandchildren, grandparents? In what way can you release your family to God? How can you, by your own free will, offer to God your sacrifice of love and praise and adoration and worship? Hannah sacrificed being with her child to offer him to the house of the God, God forever. And what did this do for her? Well, she was satisfied. Hannah's satisfaction was obvious and verses that followed as she sang to the Lord. The next 10 verses show her satisfaction. Here's only two of those verses. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. She sang that after she gave up her three-year-old. 
You can go on and read the rest of that in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and it'll bless your heart. Have you ever released your children to the Lord? Are your children free from your influence of holding back? Could God call them if he wanted to? Could God use them and establish their path? Will you be happy if God wants your child to be something other than what you wanted them to be? Would you be happy if God wanted your child to be a missionary on the foreign field? I have two sisters here today. One of my sisters has a child who's a missionary in New Zealand. New Zealand is a hard place to get to and very expensive to go. But many years ago, she released her child, and her child ended up to be a missionary in New Zealand. Will you be pleased if your child does not become the outstanding athlete but excels in Scripture memorization or singing of Christian songs? What if God gave you a child of both of those things and more? Would you count each of them of great spiritual blessing? What if God gave you a, a, a great athlete and a great scholar and a great servant? Would you thank God for all that he gave you, or would you rate the servant quality as being a little bit lower because it may not bring in the money that the scholarship and the athleticism might bring in? Hannah's an inspirational mother. She inspires mothers and fathers and the simple, uh, not the, uh, the simple but the necessary step of giving our children to God. Close with this illustration. The doctor told Marcia, Mark, that's her on the screen, and her husband that they would never have biological children. In their disappointment, Marcia clung to a friend's word. Somehow God is going to use your struggle with infertility to his glory. That was probably hard for her to hear. Marcia began to pray that she could just get a glimpse of that glory. She said, I ask everyone that I knew to pray. One five-year-old prayed, Dear God, please send Marcia a baby. Maybe someone could give her one or she could just find one on the street. <laughs> Marcia's husband, Tom, was a scientist. He stopped praying when Marcia began to show the signs of menopause. Tom had seen a lot of data, and in his lifetime he had never seen prayer change scientific facts. And six months later, Marcia made an appointment, yet another appointment, <clears throat> for yet another pregnancy test. She had had so many before as she continued to get older. Asking for another pregnancy test indicates that you're not accepting things as they are, the doctor told her. Marcia begged him, please, <clears throat> please give me one more pregnancy test. Please. He was just obstinate. You're not accepting things as they are. But he agreed. <clears throat> and he gave her the pregnancy test and it came back positive. Over the next 14 days, Marcia said, I had four more pregnancy tests <clears throat> and three more sonograms at the hospital's request. I think this time it was the doctor who was having trouble dealing with the facts. <laughs> Her full-time pregnancy was uneventful. 
Baby was born safely. On October the 22nd, 1996, Amanda Joy was born. We call her Miracle Mandy. <laughs> Marcia said, every child is a gift from God. Every child is a special miracle. Give your miracle child the advantage of a mother who will offer them to God and live every day to make the path clear for them to serve Him. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.